Please take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. These are exciting days. These are exciting days here at East Parkway. I hope you know that. I, these are exciting days at East Parkway, and I hope you know that. I can't put my finger on any one reason specifically. Though certainly there has been a tangible sense of God's goodness in our midst. As pastor, I know that many of you who are long-standing members are very encouraged by what you've seen and heard lately. While many who are relatively new to the church have likewise expressed to me and others your appreciation for what God is doing among us. Personally, I'm still benefiting tremendously from the testimonies that were shared two weeks ago at our year-end service. To hear your stories or the many ways uh, that God is involved in your lives has served to underscore His loving involvement in our life as a local church. And then I was thinking about this this week in a world where so much of the news is bad or bittersweet at best. It's important that we, as the people of God, recognize the kindness of the Lord and rejoice in Him together. These are exciting days at East Parkway. And it's in the spirit of appreciation and congregational life that I want to speak with you this morning from God's Word. As most of you are aware, if you've been around for the past six weeks or so, today we have the opportunity to affirm three men and their respective call as, uh, to serve as elders in our church. And it's with prayerful expectation that we will appoint these men, Ross Elmendorf and Sean Kenny and Andre Yahokovsky, to the elder board uh, during next Sunday's worship service. So because of this, I want, to, I want us to open our Bibles together to hear from God regarding eldership and the call of the elder. I want to provide a biblical framework to strengthen our understanding of this important role and to support the men who aspire to fulfill it. I want to spend the next two weeks, this week and next, uh, to consider the call of the elder from 1 Peter 5 then the commendation of the elder from Acts chapter 20. Our text today is 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 5, from which we learn about the elder's charge, the congregation's response, and the Lord's grace. And I think... As I worked toward this this week, I think I could maybe we could summarize these few verses. Maybe something like this. 
because eldership is from and for Christ ultimately. Everyone in the church, everyone in the church must walk in humility and grace. So let's read this together. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you this morning. Your kindness to us knows no bounds. You are good. Everything you do is good. Every good and perfect gift is from your hand. You are working good in each of our lives and in our life together as a church. And even in ways that we don't understand, you take the, the not as good stuff in life and you promise to work it for good. And this good work that you've begun in us, you've said that you will perfect and complete it. And in this we give you, for this, we give you great thanks. Thank you for your good gift of the church. Thank you for all that you intend the church to be. And how you've designed the church to, on one hand, be for the ongoing sanctification. It's, it's just a tool for our fellowship and, and growth and grace. And on the other hand, you intend it to be a um, salt and light in the world, that uh, we would be part of the advancement of your kingdom, both near and far. And so this morning, as this church, East Parkway Church, as we gather, may you teach us from this passage about church life, about congregational life together. Would you, would you give us ears to hear your voice? We want to hear your voice this morning. And so for this, we need the enablement of your Holy Spirit. Would, would you, O Spirit of God, just open our ears and make ready our hearts that we would receive all that you have for us? Would you display before us yet again the wonders of Jesus Christ and the joy it is to serve as the body of Christ? It's in his name we pray these things and more. Amen. Amen. I want to take these 
few verses and four parts, and I'm calling them the four pivotal P's. Because verse 1 speaks to the plurality of elders. Verses 2 and 3 to the practice of elders. Verse 4 to the prize awaiting the elders. And verse 5 to the posture that is to characterize the church including the elders. Plurality, practice, prize, and posture. Peter begins, So I exhort the elders among you. Elders, notice, plural. Now this is an important detail for at least two reasons. First, that Peter can address in one letter the elders in various churches scattered throughout five different provinces in Asia Minor shows that elder-led congregations were the expected norm. And secondly, that such leadership was always a shared endeavor. Said another way, hear this, the New Testament always presents church leadership within, occurring within a plurality of elders. We see this in the early formation of the church throughout the book of Acts. In Acts 14, for example, we learn that Paul and Barnabas routinely appointed elders in the churches they established. In Acts 15, when they returned to the church in Jerusalem, we're told that they were welcomed by the church and by the apostles and by the elders. When the question of circumcision among Gentile believers arose among them, the apostles and elders decided upon the matter. In other words, elder leadership was assumed and a plurality of elders was already in place. The pastoral epistles teach the same, in that the Apostle Paul, as part of his discipling of Timothy and Titus, always emphasized elder plurality. To Timothy, he spoke about the council of elders. And to Titus, he said, to appoint elders in every town as I've directed you. All this to say that the Apostle Peter likewise and affirmed, likewise assumed and affirmed leadership in the church by way of a plurality of elders. I belabor the point because we must see that there is no mention of a single pastor in that in the biblical structure, the pastor is one part of the plurality. Certain men serve as pastors, yes, like Timothy and Titus, but there is not a single instance, not one, in the New Testament where the pastor has sole authority to lead the church. Now, he may carry increased authority that comes with increased responsibility, but the pastor-driven church model is a poor one. What the Bible calls for is a plurality of qualified men to shepherd and oversee a local congregation. Let's look again. So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock, which moves us from plurality to practice. 
Elders are to shepherd God's flock, a word that means to tend and care for. And it says that elders tend and care for the church by exercising oversight. In fact, the term elder, presbyteros, is elsewhere used synonymously with the term overseer or episkopos, meaning the titles elder, overseer, and pastor are used interchangeably in the New Testament to identify essentially the same office. Pastor or shepherd emphasizes the care that's needed. Overseer emphasizes the governance that re- that's required. And elder emphasizes one's spiritual maturity. Basically, elders are to tend to God's flock by overseeing the affairs of the church. Not as high-powered CEOs, but as, but as shepherds appointed to care for God's people. Oversight, oversight implies the kind of care that extends over the entire congregation, although obviously elders themselves cannot be involved in every minute detail or decision. The emphasis, rather, is on the consistent care of the whole flock with personal and timely care for the individual sheep within the flock. Elders are to be faithful stewards of what belongs to God, leading, feeding, protecting the sheep as those who are accountable to Him. And therefore, as these verses assert, they must serve for all the right reasons. Willingly, eagerly, and as examples to the flock. Look again at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Listen, God does not want, I know you know this, God does not want half-hearted, unwilling shepherds leading his people. What kind of care is that? Instead, as 1 Timothy 3.1 attests, God desires men who aspire to serve in this role because, it says, it is a noble task. And because it is a noble task, men who desire it for noble reasons should be encouraged, not discouraged, in their aspirations. There is no room for compulsory or obligatory service as if filling the role merely because no one else can or will to your liking. Instead, the elder should be marked by noble aspirations and a desire to serve, not because he has to, but because he wants to in obedience to God. And he must serve eagerly. Look again. Shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The King James reads, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. The NIV says, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Some elders to whom Peter wrote received financial support, apparently, particularly those like myself for whom it was their primary vocation. Nonetheless, elders should be motivated by eagerness to serve, not a desire for pay. 
That would be shameful gain in Peter's book. He desires that elders shepherd with genuine care and concern, not with their own personal ambitions in mind. Elders must serve willingly and eagerly, motivated by love for the sheep, not power over the sheep. Verse 3. Shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Simply put, hear this, a good shepherd does not drive the sheep like cattle, but leads the sheep by example. Thus the Bible places great importance upon an elder's character, which is why 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are the go-to lists when it comes to character qualities to look for in an elder. These two lists provide necessary guidelines when assessing men for the office. And when looking at these two lists together, we find ten things that an elder is to be and five things that he is not to be. I'll go through them with you quickly. Again, I'm combining 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. You can look this up on your own if you'd like. Ten things he must be. He must be above reproach. Obviously not perfect, but of a high moral character. He must be the husband of one wife. Not that he must be married, but if married, he is a one-woman man. He must be sober-minded and disciplined in thought. He must be self-controlled. He must be respectable. He must be hospitable. He must be able to teach and give instruction in sound doctrine. He must be able to manage his home and family well and with dignity. Uh, If he has a wife and children, his love and care for them and their love and response to his care should be clear. For the home is the training ground where one's ability to shepherd is best developed and demonstrated. He must be well thought of by outsiders. And he must be a lover of good. He must be upright and holy. Ten things he must be. These are the things we're looking for. On the other hand, he must not be addicted to wine or a drunkard. He must not be violent. He must not be quarrelsome or quick-tempered. Always a quick uh, trigger. Defensive. Always looking to pick a fight or defend his way, must not be a lover of money or a recent convert. The point simply is that elders are to lead by example, not a top-down, I'm the boss, ship up or, or shape up or ship out type of leadership, but true servant leadership that exemplifies basic Christian character. And so what we've said is when it comes to the elders' practice, they are to shepherd God's flock by providing willing and eager oversight as well as by being good examples of godly character. By God's grace, this is the essence of their call or their practice. And likewise, by grace, Peter then speaks to their prize. To the elders, he says in verse 4, notice, 
when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, I have to admit that this statement makes me a little bit uncomfortable at first. Because it seems a bit self-serving. Anybody else feel that way? As if the elder serves to receive a crown. But I don't think that's what Peter is saying or getting at. I don't think he's emphasizing the crown as much as he is the Christ by whom the crown is given. I think the point here is to direct the elders' attention to Jesus, not to what they get from Jesus. A.W. Tozer once said, the need today is for leaders identified so fully with the cross-carrying Jesus that they have no life apart from Him, no ambition except to make Him appear glorious in the sight of men. Such as these will seek no place or reputation, for Christ Himself will be their glory and their all. You see, it's Jesus who truly gave His life for the sheep. He is the Good Shepherd. And He is the Chief Shepherd who still, in caring for His sheep, appoints under-shepherds to the task. Someday He will return in all His glory for His flock that we might be with Him forever. And when He does, the Bible says He will reward faithful service. He will say to many of us in this room, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. And to those who have served as under-shepherds, he will give the unfading crown of glory, which of course is merely a reflection of his glory. So the point here, it seems, is that an elder's gaze is to be forever fixed upon Jesus. His glory... His glory and to glory in His glory is the prize we seek. Which brings us to posture. Namely, the posture of humility. Thus far, Peter has addressed the elders specifically, yet now in verse 5, he speaks to the entire congregation and calls for humility. Humility before the elders. Humility before one another. Humility before God. It says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, Some simply take this to mean that younger people should respect older people. 
But given the context, that's not the idea here. In fact, the emphasis here is not on one's age per se, but on one's role and response. Follow this, follow along with me. Peter in this passage is referring to the role of the elders and now calls for humility toward those who are in that role. I think it's worth unpacking this issue of age a little. I think this is I think this can be confusing. This has been confusing for me in times past. In some of my conversations with you, I sense that there's a lack of clarity on a few of our parts. I want you to notice that there is no mention of one's age or varied life experiences. Actually, when you search the scriptures and even review church history, you quickly realize that there is no magical age at which an individual is suddenly qualified for eldership. Though the term elder obviously does imply older, age itself is relative because the emphasis is on one's maturity in the Lord. After all, isn't it true that we've all met people who, though older, are still very young and immature? And conversely, we've all met people who, though younger, are wise beyond their years. A person's age isn't the determining factor when it comes to eldership in the church. You may recall that each of our current elders, now men in their 60s, were called to their first eldership in their early to mid-30s. Did they know as much then as they do now? Probably not. <laughs> but they were called by God nonetheless, and they each would tell you that gaining wisdom came as they stepped into the role, not by avoiding it until a later date. This is particularly significant to us at this time. Hear me, church. This is particularly significant to us at this time because the men who are now stepping into the role are in much the same boat as our current elders were when they first began. What Peter seems to be getting at is this. Rather than resistance to leadership, let there be humility toward those whom God has placed in positions of oversight, which is right in line with other biblical teaching on the subject. After all, elders are to be assessed, affirmed, and appointed to that role, presumably because they have been recognized as men called and equipped by God. 
Therefore, not only are the younger to exercise humility, so is the entire congregation, including the elders. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. All of you. Elders, hear me, elders, elders, remember that you are first a sheep before you are a shepherd. So humbly shepherd God's flock as those who are dependent on him for the task. Flock, likewise, wear the garment of humility. Now, of course, you may have differences of opinion and even disagree with elder decisions on occasion, but that's not the issue. And by the way, that's not a surprise, right? That's not the issue. The issue at hand is how we respond when those differences of opinion arise. Each one of us is to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. And the reason, notice, the reason given for this is because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How then should church elders respond to other church members? In humility. How should church members respond to church elders? In humility. How should should we all respond to each other? In humility. And how should we all respond to God? In humility. Because at the end of the day, At the end of the day, we all need grace. And thankfully, God promises grace to the humble. When viewed this way, church, biblical eldership is not an end in itself but a means to an even greater end, which is the ongoing enjoyment of God and His grace in the church. Plurality, practice, prize, and posture. Let's now consider these things in light of our particular situation. Currently, Jim Cookson, Wayne Griswold Sr., and Jim Jordan serve as elders in the church, and they have for years. As you know, the elder board was in a state of transition last year in 2017, And we all, we all have been praying in this regard, asking God to call men who, in the spirit of 1 Timothy 3, aspire to serve in this role. You know that in 2016, we began an eldership training program with the intention of preparing such men for such a time as this. For over a year then, we have taken deliberate, unhurried, 
and necessary steps. And now as we begin a new year, we are thankful to God and excited about bringing Ross and Sean and Andre on board. These three men have been on our minds for several months and part of our church for several years. You know them. You know them. We have met with them individually and collectively. We have prayed with them and for them. We believe they meet the standards of character provided in Scripture concerning an elder in the church. We have vetted them, and now we commend them to you. Asking for your affirmation of our decision. We want to thank you for the very, very, very healthy conversations we've shared with many of you recently concerning this process and the eldership here at EPC. There was an, el an email that went out on Friday, I assume you received it and read it, that addressed the lone concern that has been expressed by some over the past few weeks, specifically what will become of our current elders once the new elders are appointed to the office. And as I said in that email, allow me to say again now that our current elders are not stepping off the board anytime soon, but rather will remain actively involved in the short and long-term care of the church for as long as God's call is clear and their circumstances allow perhaps another couple of years if necessary. The new elders are not replacing the current ones. Instead, they're being added to the mix, meaning that the eldership at EPC will be gaining three new members without losing any. The congregation hear this because it's something that you've heard us say for well over a year what really kind of personally excites me about this is that the congregation benefits from the seasoned experience of those who have served in this role for years and from the gifts and perspective of those who are now stepping into the role. And this is a model that, that fits our church's stated desire to disciple future generations and help develop the next wave of shepherd leaders in the church. In a moment, in a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to affirm our decision. This, uh, anyway, you're going to have an opportunity to affirm our decision. I want to say this. I need to say this. I don't necessarily want to say this, but I need to say this and, because there's confusion and we want to be more clear. This is not a vote. Because the decision lies with the elders ultimately. Appointing new elders, if you think about it, appointing new elders is part of the elder board's shepherding and overseeing responsibilities. At the same time, though, Please hear this. We understand the significance of the decision, which is why we want your participation in the process. 
And this particular stage of the process is yet another opportunity for you to hopefully voice your understanding and approval, but if not, to provide clear and biblical reason as to why not. And we will take it all into account, I assure you, before a final decision is made. But what I want, what the elders want, and what the potential elders want is that we move forward together as a congregation by faith in the Lord. So to recap, from this passage we learn about what God expects from the elder. We learn about how God expects the congregation to respond to those in that role and how the entire church, including the elders, should respond to one another. And we also learn about how God responds to our response. Opposing the proud while giving grace to the humble. And therefore, dear East Parkway, because eldership is from and for Christ, ultimately, let each of us walk humbly before God and receive grace. From his good hand. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us today. We thank you for bringing us as a congregation to this place at this time. Thank you for your timing in the whole thing. Thank you for the men who have served as elders in this church over the years. Thank you for those who are serving as elders in this church even now. Thank you for those who aspire to serve as elders in this church. We thank you for Ross and Sean and Andre and how you have stirred the aspirations of their heart in this direction. Thank you for the time we've spent with them over the past many months. And we would now pray that there would be a wonderful sense of unity and confirmation as we rejoice in your will together. So, God, we are a people who want grace. So keep us humble and dependent upon the Lord in every way. For your glory and for our good, we pray. Amen.